Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, Pastor continues his sermon series with this message, One by One. Well, in our text this morning, uh, we read some of the last words that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, actually ever communicated with His disciples and we understand that this passage, or, or we, we refer to this passage as the great... All right, let's, let's do better than that, because I want to make sure. We refer to this passage as the Great Commission. We may not like the Great Commission, but that's what it is. It's His commission, and uh, this is uh, what we have. And in this passage, what Jesus was telling His disciples, if you look... In verse number 19 there where it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What we find is that Jesus was telling his disciples, he says, Hey guys, as you go, as you traverse the world, see the command wasn't to go, the command was to teach. See, a lot of people say, no, the command's to go. That wasn't the command. Jesus was saying, as you go on with your lives, as you go therefore... Teach all nations. And so this idea is that as disciples or Christ followers, they were to live their lives in a way that would bring Him honor and glory. And how were they to do that? They were to do that by teaching others what they had learned. They were to go into all the world and teach or disciple others. And so we have to ask the question, what happens when a disciple is made or taught? Well, biblically, it's right here. You see, every disciple is to continue the process. So as his disciples were told to go and to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and then he goes on teaching them to observe all things whatsoever he had commanded. Listen, the same is true for us. If we are truly disciples, we're to continue that process one by one. That's the idea of the title. One by one, we're to continue this process that we find in Scripture of building Jesus' church, His bride, if you please. As disciples, we're to make disciples who in turn go and make other disciples. But if we're really going to understand this great commission or this passage of Scripture, we've got to be familiar with a couple of terms. And we already referenced people this week who by faith uh, place their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior at a couple of wonderful memorial services. And, and listen, there are people all around the world this week who probably place their faith in Christ. But what we have to do is we have to understand the definition of a couple of words And as we begin. And I want to share those words. First word that we, we need to really get a hold of and understand is the word convert. See, we don't say that word a lot, but let me, let me just define it for you. The word convert actually means to bring over from one belief, view, or party to another or to bring about religious conversion. And that's what we would think about. When we say the word convert, we think about the idea of somebody changing their view of what they believe in Jesus and they are converted into Christianity. Some of the synonyms that go along with the word convert are the words transform, transform. The idea of transform is this idea that there is a major change in form, nature, or function. That's what the Apostle Paul said, that we ought to be transforming our mind. 
the renewing of our mind through God's word. And so there's this synonym of transform, but there's also a synonym that goes along with convert, and it's the synonym transfigure. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The synonym transfigure actually means to change in a way that exalts or glorifies. And so we must ask ourselves as believers this morning, have we been transfigured? Have we been transformed? See, are we, are we as believers something that exalts and glorifies God? The second word, it kind of flows right into the second word, is one that we find here in Scripture, and that's the word disciple. Now, the word disciple means one who accepts, not only accepts, but assists in spreading the doctrines or teachings of another. The idea here is the the assistance of spreading the doctrines or teachings of Christianity. So some of you guys are like, hey, I didn't come to church to get an English lesson or to learn what the word convert or disciple means. But it's so incredibly important if we're going to understand this concept of one by one. Some of the synonyms for disciple are the words follower and adherent. Anybody uh, have a pet here? Anybody have a little puppy or a cat? (laughs) Any cat lovers here this morning? I just need to know who I need to pray for. All right? (laughs) Just trying to figure it out. Uh, (laughs) Eddie, (laughs) thank you, Flo. Any, any Any puppy lovers? Okay. All right. Does anybody have a puppy or it could be a cat that follows you everywhere? It's like, excuse me, get off of my leg. Leave me alone, leave me alone. Listen, now, that's kind of a grotesque kind of comparison. (laughs) But as disciples, we're to follow our master. Isn't that what scripture talks about? It says that we can't have two masters. We're either going to follow one and stick closely to one, or we're going to follow the other. We can't have two. You can't follow two masters. We only have one. And so if we're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, the idea and actually the meaning of the word disciple is follower. It's a follower or an adherent, if you please. Someone who chooses to persist. This continual attachment to something. And so here's the thing in all of this. And I already mentioned the 12 people who trusted Christ. And Wesley was talking to me earlier about the five people who trusted Christ. And man, we ought to get excited When people trust Christ as their Savior. Because after all, the Bible tells me in Luke chapter 15, verse number 10, that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. That's a wonderful thing and we ought to get excited. And if you don't get excited too much when you hear about people trusting Christ, there may be a need to look in the mirror. That spiritual mirror. Man, it should be an exciting thing when we hear that people are trusting Christ. However, if we're to go to Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 24, Acts chapter 1, John chapter 20, and we're to look at the five places where we see the Great Commission being echoed, our job is not merely to to get excited about people being saved. Our job is to see that people are taught all things. To be discipled, this word teach in the scripture, as Jesus said, he said, as you go, you are to teach all nations, you're to disciple all nations. 
And by the way, if you go into this passage in verse number 19 of our text, the word all, I did a look up just so that I could appease everybody. The word all actually means all. It actually means all, any, every, or, quote, the whole. And so Jesus told his disciples, he said, you're to go into all, every, whole, anywhere you go, all nations. And that word nations is the word ethnos. And the word ethnos means tribe, race, foreign, or otherwise. He says you're to go to every race, every nation, every tribe, every people group that you can find. And your job is to teach them, to disciple them. See, not merely did he say to go and to convert all nations. He says you're to go and to teach them. See, there's a greater responsibility for us. The Great Commission does not instruct us to simply go. It instructs us to go and to teach. But I don't want you to be confused this morning. Because both words can actually be used to describe Christians. And it may interest you to know that the word Christian or Christians is only found three times in the New Testament. Did anybody know that? It's only found three times. The first time it's found, if you guys will show it, it's in Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, the Bible says, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. What does it say about them? Acts 11, where are we at? And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. There at the end of the verse there. What was it referred to? Disciples. What the Bible is saying, that the Christ followers, that's what it means there, that word is is Christ followers, it means this, it says those Christ followers were first called Christians in Antioch. If you go to the end of the book of Acts, this is after the Apostle Paul. He's giving testimony before King Agrippa of his faith in Jesus Christ. And at uh, at the end of it all, King Agrippa, notice what the Bible says. He says, he turns to Paul and he says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What he was saying was, he he wasn't simply saying, Almost thou persuadest me to convert. He says, You almost persuaded me to be a follower of Christ. I almost, I am almost persuaded in this moment to, to allow my life to be transformed so that I would follow Christ. It's a sad scripture. But then if you go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 16, the last time we see the word Christian, it says, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, again that word means follower of Christ, so if you suffer as a follower of Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. In each of these instances where the word Christian is used in scripture, it actually means follower of Christ. To be a convert is to have a transformation take place, a change of mind. To be a disciple is to be a follower. And so let's go back to our title and our text and ask the question, what's our mission? The mission of every Christian then and now is this idea of multiplication by duplication. Multiplication, say that ten times fast, by duplication. See, we must proclaim the good news of the gospel, but we also must teach or make disciples of all nations. I like to say this all the time. Do what we can do and allow God to do the rest. 
See, I cannot guarantee that people are going to receive or even accept the message of Jesus. My job is not to do That's God's job. God's the one. See, we can plant and we can water, as the Apostle Paul reminded the church at Corinthians, at Corinth, rather. We can, we can plant and we can water, but it's only God that gives the increase. And so it's my job to cast out the, the word of truth. It's my job to encourage. By the way, it's also my job to live as though I am a Christ follower. Ain't nobody going to want me to disciple them if they don't believe that I'm actually a disciple myself. If you have a bad rap, if your rap sheet doesn't speak of your faith, then it's going to be pretty hard to go into the workplace or the marketplace and talk to your friends or your other, even your family members about the Lord because they're going to look at you and they're going to say, what are you talking about? You're living your life as a hypocrite if you're telling me to get right with Jesus and and I see how you're living. So it's very important how we live our lives. Multiplication, not addition. I love addition. It's easier than multiplication for me. All right? Multiplication, though, is still our Lord's plan for reaching the world with the gospel. I think about uh, the beginning of our Lord's public ministry on earth how he was focused on this principle of multiplication from the very outset. You think about it when he calls, when he, when he starts beca- uh, calling his disciples, we think about Andrew and Simon Peter, and in Mark chapter 1, verse number 17, this is from the very outset, we see that Jesus is concerned with this idea of multiplication. Notice he says, Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of what? Men. He didn't say, I will make you to become a fisher of man. He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. That word in the Greek is, is anthropos. And it's speaking of humanity, human beings, male and female, boys, girls, men, women, senior saints, all alike. Anthropos, the study or the doctrine of man. He's saying, I will teach you to become fishers of anthropos. He was concerned with multiplication. He was saying, guys, I know you guys are accredited professional fishermen, but if you'll follow me, I'm going to teach you what fishing's all about. In other words, he was telling them, he says, I'm going to teach you how to reach and reproduce yourselves in a way that you don't understand right now, but if you'll follow me, I'm going to teach you these things. And his point is, if they would follow him and allow him to teach them, then they would be prepared to go and to teach others. The same way it works in our, in our lives. The very last message that our Lord gave. Think about his life. He has his public ministry. He dies on the cross. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. The scripture reveals to us that he arose three days later according to the scriptures, and, and then he meets with his disciples on a, a number of different occasions. Forty days, we know Jesus met with multitudes and multitudes of followers. And uh, his very last message that our Lord gave, and you know, not only did he give it to his uh, closest followers, he gave it to any of those that were following him as Christ followers. Uh, it was all geared to this idea of reaching and reproducing others. In fact, in our text this morning, we've already talked about how he told his disciples um, to go ye therefore in Matthew uh, 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing, notice the word, them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them in verse 20 to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. If you go to Mark's gospel, in Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, Barry was talking about that this morning in the encouragers uh, class that, that we would go and, and reach every creature, meaning exactly what it says. I think about that time when Jesus met with his disciples. You know, uh, if you read in scripture, he meets with his disciples in a closed room and uh, he reveals to them in verse 21 of John 20, Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. He says, My Father sent me to seek and save that which was lost. Now, I'm giving you that job. This is your job now. And if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which we went to a few weeks ago, before our missionary was here last week, we talked about the fact that as believers, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to go out and to be reconcilers. We're not to go out and fight with people. Not to go out and beat people down. We have the word, the mystery, and the word of truth in our hands. And hopefully it's not just in your hands. Hopefully it's in your heart. You see, because that's going to dictate how we live our lives. We're to go out and to reconcile the word back into God's favor. Acts 1, verse 8. It's up on our walls all this past year, and we'll be putting up our new verse. But it says this, it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world. Every, everywhere we go, we're witnesses. We're light. We're salt. We were talking about that Wednesday night. Here's the thing. Jesus wasn't saying in Matthew chapter 5, you're going to be salt. You're going to be light. He said, you're salt. You're light. Everywhere you go, people are watching. You're witnesses. And ye shall be witnesses after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost comes upon a believer at that moment of faith. At the very moment we trust Christ, that that baptism of the Holy Spirit comes on a believer's life. Right then and there, we have the Holy Spirit residing inside of us. And so, we are to be witnesses for Him. Now, I know certainly in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we read how God added to the early church daily, such as should be saved. And I know some of you are saying, well, hold on, there's that word added, not multiplied. (laughs) Well... Conversion was and continues still to be only one step of the process. As disciples, as believers, one step of the process we're supposed to be doing. Listen, if we stop at conversion, we have not fulfilled the Great Commission. If I only get excited about people getting saved, and I never tell a person that they need to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Listen, guys, I grew up in the Methodist church. Listen, when I was a little boy... They dipped their hand in water and they put their hand on my head and they baptized me in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you I understand that. I understand where they understand from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. I get it. But the Bible shows us the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was baptized in obedience to His Father's command. Therefore, we baptize similarly. And so if I stop at conversion and I never tell a person 
that they ought to walk in obedience to the Lord's commands. The command to uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, that ordinance. The other ordinance, to be baptized. If I never teach somebody what it looks like to live out their faith daily, if I never try to encourage husbands to take up their role in the family as the spiritual leader, if I never, if my wife and I never try to encourage women and men to live by faith and not by sight, then we haven't done our job. You see, because it's real easy for a baby... Watch this. It's real easy for a baby to get trampled on in Walmart. You say, what does that mean? Well, if I leave you at the point of conversion, it's real easy for you to get trampled on by the world. Because your faith is not strong. You haven't been strengthened by the Word of God. And so we have to be committed. Listen, we're not just to, uh, 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 you know, we're not just to see people converted Listen, as disciples, we're to be making disciples, not just Christ acceptors, but Christ followers. Being a Christ acceptor is great, but being a Christ follower is much better. And the way we do that is one by one. In Acts chapter 6, just after the explosion of the early church, we see that the number of disciples multiplied and multiplied so much that they they called deacons and and helpers to the church to care for widows and on and on. And and then just a few short chapters later in Acts chapter 17, we see how it was referred to these disciples. It says these disciples were turning the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, they were changing the world upside down with the life-changing message of the gospel. Listen, I wrote this down this morning. The gospel is life-changing, not simply life-saving. Well, four or five of you got it. The gospel is not simply life-saving, it's life-changing. It should change our lives. If the gospel has not changed your life, then the gospel hasn't changed your life. That's not me, that's God's word. And so, listen, when I think about this this idea of multiplication, God's multiplication demands a holy dissatisfaction. Listen, the status quo ain't going to go. Listen, if we're satisfied with the way things are, then we'll never reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you say in your heart, listen, that's not my job, man, that's your job. You're the pastor. Guess what? It was my job before I ever got into ministry. When I was in the military, it was my job. Before I was in the military, it was my job. After I retired from the military and went to Bible college, it was my job. You don't have to be a pastor of a local New Testament church for this to apply. Listen, this this idea of God's multiplication demands a holy dissatisfaction. It demands focus. I think about the Apostle Paul. Isn't that what he said? This one thing I do, right? Remember what Paul said in Philippians? This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before. Listen, we have to have focus. God's multiplication demands holy dissatisfaction and focus. It also demands casting a wide net. I like in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus told his disciples, he said, uh, let down your nets. And if you read the story, the disciples, they let down net, singular and if you remember the, what happens in that story, their nets break because of the catch. Jesus said, let down your nets for a draught. He says, hey, listen, we're not just fishing for one or two little fishies in the sea. He says, we're fishing for multitudes and multitudes 
of fishes. Oh, it requires casting a wide net. God's multiplication demands more than just discussion. Listen, a lot of people like to discuss the gospel. It demands action, though, one by one. I think about the Apostle Paul, how he was consumed with Christ in the ministry of discipleship and, and multiplication. He was looking well beyond. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. You see, because Paul, he was looking well beyond the process that was taking place in young Timothy's life. This is a young man that he had invested in. He was, but he was looking beyond Timothy's life. And what you can see in verses 1 and 2 is exactly this. Notice what the Bible says. In verse 1, Paul writes here to young Timothy, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou... Now notice this. Now here's what I did in mine. Where it says thou, I wrote second generation. Because Paul, speaking of himself to Timothy, he's the first generation. He's speaking to a second generation Christian, right? So he says, watch this. He says, he says and the things that you, as the second generation, has heard of me, the first generation, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, the third generation, who shall be able to teach others, fourth generation. There's four generations of believers put in this one verse. He says, the things that you heard of me, number one, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to uh, faithful men, that's the third generation, because Timothy's the second, who shall be able to teach others also. And so Paul is committed to Christ, but he's also committed to this spiritual process of multiplication by duplication. But let me ask you a question. You may or may not know the Apostle Paul didn't lead Timothy to Christ. Who led Timothy to Christ? Grandmother and who else? Mom and grandmother. We got Lois and Eunice here that led or taught Timothy about the gospel. You say, well, how do you know that? How, how, do, you, how do you know that? Well, if you read Acts chapter 16... You know from verse number 1 in Acts chapter 16 that Timothy was already a believer. When Paul came to the area of Derb and Lystra, he met young Timotheus and he was already a believer. The Bible says his mother was a Jewish, a Jewess, and his father was a Greek. By the way, that tells me that Timothy's parents were a mixed couple. There was ethnos in their couple. Listen, and so we see what's taking place in Scripture right there. And yet, what I know is that God uses, God uses Paul to disciple who? He uses him to disciple Timothy. This idea of multiplication by duplication. You see, you and I may not be the one that plants the seed. You and I may not be used to water the seed. You know? As I said, some plants, some water, God gives the increase. But you and I may be used by God to train or disciple someone else. You don't have to come along and you find somebody who already believes in Jesus Christ and say, oh, well, they're already a Christian, so there's no use in investing any time in them. That's not the case. They may never have been discipled. They may be weak. They may need encouragement. By the way, anybody besides me in this room need encouragement? This is what discipleship is all about. And this is the Great Commission. We're to be discipling others. And I know what some of you are thinking, so I've got an illustration. Maybe you're thinking or maybe you thought in the past, 
hey, this job is just too big. There's no way that we can, you know, fulfill the Great Commission. I mean, it's too big. It's too big for us to even attempt. And I would just say you're in good company. If you're here this morning and you doubt that the Great Commission can be fulfilled, you're in good company. Because Travis already read it this morning. Guys, if you'll show verse number 17 of our passage this morning. Notice what happens when Jesus comes along. When the disciples see him, right? Jesus is going to Galilee. He's going to meet with his disciples. And when they saw him, every one of them worshipped him. But what does it say at the end of the verse? It says, but some doubted. Do you know that I would, I would just go out on a limb today and say that there may be somebody listening or there may be somebody in this room who on occasion has doubted God's ability. Not only to meet the Great Commission, maybe you, you fall in the category where there's been some personal struggle that you've gone through, whether it be financial, physical, spiritual, or whatever the case is, and you have doubted on occasion God's ability. I want to encourage you, He is able. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. Listen, so we have to ask ourselves the question, listen, there's 7.5 billion people in the world. That's a lot of people to go into all the world and teach all nations. 7.5 billion people. Now, I was telling my wife this and I was telling Mark the other day, think about this. Let's pretend for a second that there is a really great speaker and it's not me. It's a really great speaker, and this great speaker holds a huge uh, crusade. As I was saying, that, you know, it could be Billy Graham or somebody gifted that's really, really a gifted speaker, and they rent a huge uh, uh, sports arena or stadium every night for 30 years. 30 years. Now, think about this. This is a long time. And every night, 20,000 people trust Christ as their Savior. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but my calculator tells me that that's a little over 219 million people that would be one to Jesus Christ in that 30-year period of time. Is that awesome? Hold on. Is that awesome? That's not a trick question. That would be amazing. Guys, it would be amazing to see 219 million people come to trust Christ over a 30-year span, day by day. Can you imagine it? Even on Sundays. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Just continue for 30 years. 20,000 people a night trusting Christ. 219 million people. Can I tell you that even if that were the case, statistically speaking, the church would actually be losing ground. With 7.5 billion people in the world and the population growth growing every day, the church would be losing huge amounts of ground. And you say, well, that's phenomenal. 20,000 a day? Are you kidding me? I want to show you a different way that we could change the world with the gospel of Christ. Guys, if you'll put up slide number one. Slide number one, what we see here, evidenced before us, let's consider in your mind, as a mature Christian, you go out and you find one person. I go out and I find one person. Let's say it takes me six months to lead this person to Christ. Maybe they don't even have a biblical basis. Maybe they don't even believe in God. Maybe they're coming from a position where they have no faith. They have no desire to know God. They have no uh, understanding of Him. But over the course of six months, the Lord opens up the eyes of their understanding and they trust Christ as their Savior. Let's say you do that in six months. Just one person. 
And then for the next six months, you go out and you disciple that person. Okay? And so you've invested how much of your time? Uh, What? One year. At the end of that one year, what this chart shows is that there would be two trained and reached disciples. You and the one that you reached. Now, let's say that the two disciples, they continue this process. They continue the process. They reach each one, reach one, one by one. And then they train them. At the end of year two, there are four disciples. You follow the scale. After the third year, there's eight Christ followers. Man, we're knocking it out of the ballpark. You say, man, Battlefield Baptist Church is really blowing and growing. We got eight new disciples. You guys need to loosen up. (laughs) After four years, there's 16 disciples. But notice what begins to happen as disciples continue to multiply. At the 10-year mark, notice, there's 1,024 disciples or Christians. 20 years in, we're just over a million disciples. And you say, hold on a second. You just gave us an illustration that at 30 years, there was 219 million uh, believers because of the stadium ministry that you had. And here at 20 years, we're at a million. But yes, notice what happens at the 30-year mark of the multiplication table. We're over a billion. We're like McDonald's now. We're over a billion people who are sold on the fact that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the beginning and the end. That's pretty amazing. So in the same time, instead of having these, these, these services, 20,000 every night for 30 years, we just go out one by one by one by one by one. If we're faithfully committed to doing it, oh, by the way, that means that for 30 years, you got to keep reaching one every year. That's all. Your job is to reach one. I'm not trying to burden anybody with something great and enormous. Now watch what happens. At the 30 year, or excuse me, at the 33 year mark, we have multiplied and duplicated ourselves to over 8.5 billion people that have been reached and trained with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I know what some of you guys, you Weisenheimers, are saying, not everybody's going to believe. You're right. That's not my concern. It's not your concern. Your concern and my concern is to be found faithful to go into all the world and teach all nations. We're to teach them all things whatsoever the Lord said He commanded. And He actually said that He would be with us always, even until the end of the world. And then He put a caption on it. He said, Amen. So now notice what happens. At the 33-year mark, we're over 8.5 billion people. That's a billion more than our current population. But I know what some of you may be thinking. You're saying, listen... That's really cool, but you yourself even said that the population growth is going to grow more. And so at 33 years, I'm sure the population is going to be more than 7.5 billion people. So you have a problem. I'm glad you're thinking that. Next slide. In 83 years, at the year 2100, the United Nations has estimated that there will be 11.2 billion people in our world. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. (laughs) I got news for you. I won't be here in 83 years unless it's some kind of miracle of God. I ain't going to be here. And if I am here, son, please take care of me. (laughs) 
I'm guessing I'm going to need someone to take care of me. I already do. My, my wife already takes care of me. $11.2 billion. You say, hold on, Pastor. Your, your little 33-year multiplication chart, which, by the way, I didn't come up with, only reaches 8.5 plus billion people. Well, that was at the 33-year mark. This is in 83 years beyond that mark. Notice what happens, last slide, at the 34-year mark. At the 34-year mark, the process of spiritual multiplication would equal more than 17.1 billion people that have been trained and reached with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That is incumbent on everybody doing their part, one by one. So as I close, you ask yourself, how do we do this? How do we accomplish this? How do we accomplish this? Well, in John chapter 8, if you're a note taker, I'll give you uh, these bullets, and then we're going to pray. In John chapter 8, verse 31, notice it says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. If you're a Christ follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus says you're going to continue in his word. Except for he put it a different way. He said, if, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples. If you're not continuing in my word, then don't call yourself my disciple. That's the way he put it. Notice, see, if we're going to see this little multiplication chart kind of come to fruition, then each of us need to be disciples ourselves. That's the point. Be a disciple yourself. Be in God's word, hearing it, reading it, studying it, meditating on it as the psalmist said, but more so obeying it. Remember, before you duplicate anything, you first must be a disciple. In John chapter 13, verse 13, uh, 34 and 35, very familiar passage of scripture, Jesus told his disciples, he says, listen, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. And then he says, he says, as I have loved you that you also love one another by this, he says, by this thing of love, He says, shall all men know that ye are my, what? Disciples. He says, if you show love for one another, then people are going to know that you're a follower of me if you have love for one another. So a disciple not only needs to be a disciple himself, but a disciple loves people because Jesus loves people. You can't say you're a disciple of Jesus if you don't love people. Number three, John 15, 8. Continuing this thought, the Bible says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Listen, we have to uh, live our lives and become more and more and more like our Lord and Savior. Remember, the more we become like our Master, the more uh, we're going to want to follow Him. Luke 14, 27. And whatsoever doth not bear his cross, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Listen, a true disciple willingly sacrifices whatever is necessary to follow Christ. It doesn't matter your reputation, your finances, your comfort. No matter what comes our way, if we are going to be a disciple of Christ, we must pick up our cross daily and follow him in the good times and the bad. Barry alluded to it. It was kind of uh, interesting. It was encouraging to me. He alluded to this idea from James chapter 1, verse 22. Listen, a disciple of Jesus Christ is a doer of his word, not a hearer only. See, when we hear God's word, we come and we hear God's word week after week, but we go out from the place of where we're hearing God's word proclaimed, but we never do it. What good is it? 
it's of no, it's of no avail. It's of no, it's of no worth if we don't actually exercise those things or apply those things that we're learning from God's word. And so, disciple of Jesus must be a doer of the world of, of the word. And then finally, in our text, actually. In our text, we see this. In verse number 18, the Bible says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, Notice this, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. If you're a disciple, then you know where your power and your strength comes from. See, my power and strength doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from my wife, although she affirms me all the time, and I'm thankful for her affirmation. But my strength and my power and my resolve, they come from the Lord. No matter when people, listen, no matter when people shake their head at me, no matter when people say, man, that guy's full of baloney, no matter when people do this or do that or whatever, I have no choice. I have no choice. I have been bought and redeemed with a price. Every child of God is the same. Now, throw up that slide one, one more time. Because here, remember, as you look at this slide... The chart was based on one person. It was one starting with one, right? Two, and then two, and then four. The whole chart was based on one person. What if, that's a big what if, what if everybody in this room, what if everybody in this room, what if we took an average of 400 with adults and children, what if we took an average of 400 people and we started with 400 going out and reaching 400? Then after the year one, we've got 800. Then we started at year two and we got 800 going out to 1,600. And then 1,600 going out, 32. See what I'm saying? See, we were starting with one. What if all of us were convinced and committed to fulfilling the Great Commission? How long would it really take? Hmm. Isabel Kuhn, missionary to China and Thailand, once said this. said, I believe that in each generation God has called enough men and women to evangelize and disciple all the yet unreached tribes of the earth. It is not God who does not call. It is man who will not respond. It's not God. We can't blame God and say, God, why aren't you doing it? God has called each and every one of us. The reality is that it's us. We have not responded the way that we have been commanded to respond in the Great Commission. Listen, one by one, it's up to me and it's up to you. What are we going to do? We all have been one, W-O-N-E, by one man, the man Christ Jesus. And so we need to go forth from this place more committed, more focused, more determined to reach our world with the truth and the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that simply one by one. I pray that you'll recommit yourself today, that you'll be convinced today, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long while, to reach out and to encourage and to disciple and to train others as God gives you the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.